Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about pain. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash pain or in the neurology section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. And you can find flashcards and questions to train your knowledge and help you remember the information longer at members.zerotofinals.com. So let's get straight into it. The International Association for the Study of Pain publishes a definition of pain, and this is from 2020. Pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage. It's essential to distinguish between two categories of pain. Acute pain, which has a new onset, or chronic pain, where the pain has been present for three months or more. This distinction between acute and chronic pain helps to guide management. Let's talk about the basic physiology of pain. There are two aspects to the experience of pain. The sensory aspect, which is the sensory signal transmitted from the pain receptor, and you can think of this as a patient saying, it's a sharp sensation like a needle or it's a dull sensation, like an ache. And the affective aspect of pain, and this is the unpleasant emotional reaction to the pain. And you can think of this as a patient saying, it's excruciating, I can't bear it. Pain is supposed to indicate underlying or potential damage to the tissues, but it can occur without tissue damage. The physiology of pain is very complex there's still a lot that's not fully understood about the experience of pain. Pain is subjective, meaning that when a person indicates they're in pain, we need to accept their experience, even when there's no apparent underlying cause. Pain threshold refers to the point at which sensory input is reported as painful. For example, different temperatures can be applied to the skin to measure the point at which the heat is interpreted as pain. A higher temperature indicates a higher sensory threshold for pain. Allodynia refers to when pain is experienced with sensory inputs that do not normally cause pain, for example light touching of the skin. Pain tolerance is different to pain threshold. Pain tolerance is more difficult to define and generally refers to a person's response to pain. One person may experience pain but think little of it and carry on with their activities as usual. Another person may experience a similar pain and worry that it indicates a serious underlying illness, take time away from work and seek medical investigations and treatment. Pain tolerance varies massively between individuals and is influenced by many biological, psychological and social factors. At the most basic level, pain receptors, or nociceptors, at the ends of nerves detect damage or potential damage to the tissues. Nerve signals are transmitted along the afferent nerves to the spinal cord. Afferent sensory nerves that transmit pain signals are part of the peripheral nervous system and are called primary afferent nociceptors. Two groups of nerve fibres transmit pain. C-fibres, which are unmyelinated and have a small diameter, 
transmit signals slowly and produce dull and diffuse pain sensations. A. Delta fibers, which are myelinated and have a larger diameter, transmit signals fast and they produce sharp and localized pain. The signal then travels to the central nervous system, up the spinal cord, mainly in the spinothalamic tract and the spinoreticular tract, to the brain where it's interpreted as pain, mainly in the thalamus and the cortex. The main sensory inputs that generate a pain signal are mechanical, for example pressure, heat and chemical, for example from prostaglandins. However, when directly measuring activity in the peripheral afferent sensory nerves, pain may be experienced without activity in the primary afferent nociceptors and activity in the primary afferent nociceptors can be detected without the patient experiencing pain. This means patients can experience pain without any apparent peripheral pain signals and patients can have peripheral pain signals that don't generate a pain response, which makes pain very complex to understand and treat. Referred pain refers to pain experienced in a location away from the site of tissue damage. For example, patients with a heart attack may have pain in their left arm. There are several possible explanations for referred pain, including that nerves may share the innervation of multiple parts of the body, for example the heart and the left arm, Pain in one area amplifies the sensitivity in the spinal cord to signals coming from other areas and activation of the sympathetic nervous system in response to pain results in pain in other areas. Neuropathic pain is caused by abnormal functioning or damage to the sensory nerves resulting in pain signals being transmitted to the brain. Let's talk about measuring pain. There's no reliable ways to objectively measure the pain that somebody is experiencing. As it's a subjective experience, pain is measured by asking the patient about their perception of pain. The visual analogue scale, or VAS, involves asking the patient to rate their pain along a horizontal line, where the left end indicates no pain and the right end indicates the worst pain the patient can imagine. The distance along the line can be measured to get a numerical value to represent the patient's pain, for example 75mm along a 100mm line. The numerical rating scale, or NRS, involves asking the patient to rate their pain on a numerical scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being no pain at all and 10 being the worst pain they can imagine. Pain can also be rated on a graphical rating scale with a series of faces going from happy to very unhappy. This may be helpful in children or patients with a learning disability. Next let's talk about the analgesic ladder. The World Health Organization analgesic ladder was originally developed to help manage cancer-related pain. It's also often used for acute and chronic painful conditions. The idea of the analgesic ladder is that patients with mild pain start on the first step of the ladder and when the pain is more severe or does not respond to the lower steps, 
then higher steps on the ladder are used until the pain is adequately managed. There are three steps to the analgesic ladder. Step one is non-opioid medications, such as paracetamol and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. Step two is weak opioids, such as codeine and tramadol. And step three is strong opioids, such as morphine, oxycodone, fentanyl and buprenorphine. Tramadol has multiple mechanisms of action, including being a serotonin noradrenaline reuptake inhibitor, or SNRI, and an agonist of opioid receptors. Other medications may be combined with the analgesic ladder for additional effect, and these are called adjuvants. For example, antidepressants such as amitriptyline or duloxetine, or anticonvulsants such as gabapentin or pregabalin. Let's go through some side effects. Medication overuse headache is a common side effect of the long-term use of analgesic medication. Key side effects of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs are gastritis with dyspepsia or indigestion, stomach ulcers, exacerbation of asthma, hypertension or high blood pressure, renal impairment and coronary artery disease, heart failure and strokes, which are rare complications. NSAIDs may be inappropriate or contraindicated in patients with asthma, renal impairment, heart disease, uncontrolled hypertension or stomach ulcers. Proton pump inhibitors, for example omeprazole or lanzoprazole, are often co-prescribed with NSAIDs to reduce the risk of gastrointestinal side effects, such as acid reflux, gastritis and stomach ulcers. The key side effects of opioids are constipation, skin itching, which is called pruritus, nausea, altered mental state with sedation, cognitive impairment or confusion, and respiratory depression, usually only with larger doses in opioid-naive patients. Naloxone is used to reverse the effects of opioids in life-threatening overdose, usually due to respiratory depression. Let's talk about opioid use in palliative care. Using opioids to control pain in palliative patients is a specific scenario where the doses are titrated and optimised over time. This involves using a combination of background opioids, for example 12-hourly modified-release oral morphine, to give a background dose of opioids, and rescue doses for breakthrough pain, for example immediate-release oral morphine solution. The rescue dose is usually one-sixth of the background 24-hour dose. For example, with a background of 30 mg of morphine over 24 hours, for example 15 mg modified release morphine every 12 hours, each rescue dose will be 5 mg, given every 2 to 4 hours as required. So they have a background of 30 mg over 24 hours, divide this by 6 and you have 5 mg for the rescue doses. If the patient requires regular rescue doses for breakthrough pain, then the dose of the background opioid needs to be increased. 
When the background dose is increased, the rescue doses must also be increased to remain one-sixth of the background 24-hour dose. A Tom tip for you, remember that each rescue dose is one-sixth of the 24-hour background dose. Exam questions might ask something like, this patient is on 30 milligrams of modified release morphine every 12 hours. What would be the correct breakthrough dose? In this scenario, the answer is 10 milligrams, as the patient is getting 60 milligrams of background morphine every 24 hours, 30 milligrams twice a day. Let's talk about opioid conversion. The information here is from the BNF, which gives approximate conversions between different opiates, giving the dose that's equivalent to 10 milligrams of oral morphine. The conversions are not exact and different patients respond differently to various opioids. So for example, 10 milligrams of oral morphine is equivalent to 100 milligrams of oral codeine, 100 milligrams of oral tramadol, 6.6 milligrams of oral oxycodone, 5 milligrams of intravenous intramuscular or subcutaneous morphine, and 3 milligrams of intravenous intramuscular or subcutaneous diamorphine. It's also possible to use opioid patches to give the background analgesia. For example, buprenorphine patches, where 5 micrograms per hour patches are roughly equivalent to 12 milligrams per 24 hours of oral morphine. Or fentanyl patches, where 12 micrograms per hour patches are equivalent to about 30 milligrams per 24 hours of oral morphine. Next, let's talk about chronic pain. Chronic pain refers to pain that has been present or reoccurs in one or more areas over more than three months. Up to 50% of adults in the UK are affected by chronic pain. The NICE guidelines on chronic pain from April 2021 separate chronic pain into chronic primary pain, where there's no underlying condition that can adequately explain the pain, and chronic secondary pain where an underlying condition can explain the pain, for example, osteoarthritis. Biological, psychological and social factors contribute to the persistence and the severity of chronic pain. Physical processes that can lead to chronic pain include sensitization of the primary afferent nociceptors by frequent stimulation, increased activity of the sympathetic nervous system, and increased muscle contraction in response to pain. Chronic pain is a complex condition that can be challenging to manage. It often fluctuates with flare-ups and it may get worse over time. Good communication and building a relationship with the patient is important. Part of management aims to maintain the quality of life despite the pain being present. Options for managing chronic primary pain listed in the NICE guidelines from 2021 include supervised group exercise programs, acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, acupuncture and antidepressants 
for example, amitriptyline, duloxetine, or an SSRI. The NICE guidelines specifically state that for chronic primary pain, the patients should not be started on paracetamol, NSAIDs, opiates, or anti-epileptic drugs, for example, pregabalin or gabapentin. In chronic secondary pain, where the patient has an underlying physical explanation for the pain, such as osteoarthritis or cancer, analgesia may be helpful depending on the underlying cause. For example, in patients with osteoarthritis, the pain may be managed with NSAIDs. A tom tip for you, it's worth remembering that the NICE guidelines clearly state to avoid essentially all forms of analgesia in chronic primary pain, except antidepressants. Chronic primary pain is really common and often these patients have been prescribed many analgesic medications in the past without much benefit. Next, let's talk about neuropathic pain. Typical features of neuropathic pain are numbness, burning, tingling, pins and needles, or an electric shock sensation. Common causes of neuropathic pain include post-hepatic neuralgia from shingles, and this is in the distribution of a dermatome, usually on the trunk, nerve damage from surgery, multiple sclerosis, diabetic neuralgia, typically affecting the feet, trigeminal neuralgia, affecting the face, and complex regional pain syndrome. The DN4 questionnaire can be used to assess the characteristics of the pain and the likelihood of neuropathic pain being the explanation. Patients are scored out of 10. A score of 4 or more indicates neuropathic pain. There are four first-line treatments for neuropathic pain. Amitriptyline, which is a tricyclic antidepressant. Duloxetine, which is an SNRI antidepressant. Gabapentin, which is an anticonvulsant. And pregabalin, which is also an anticonvulsant. Only one neuropathic medication is used at a time. Tramadol may be used only as a short-term rescue for flares of neuropathic pain. The NICE clinical knowledge summaries from 2022 recommend carbamazepine as the first-line medication for trigeminal neuralgia. Finally, let's talk about complex regional pain syndrome. Complex regional pain syndrome is characterized by areas of abnormal nerve functioning, causing neuropathic pain abnormal sensations, skin changes and altered hair growth. It's often triggered by an injury and it's isolated to a single limb. The area can become hypersensitive with pain associated with normal sensations and this is called allodynia. There may be intermittent swelling of the skin, colour changes, temperature changes, skin flushing and abnormal sweating of the area. Treatment of complex regional pain syndrome is guided by a pain specialist and it's similar to other types of neuropathic pain. So thanks for listening to this episode on pain. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. I recommend heading over to members.zerotofinals.com where you can find questions to test your knowledge on this topic 
and help you remember the information for longer, taking advantage of the testing effect. There's also a full course there on how to learn medicine, which may be helpful in preparing you for exams, as well as a tracking tool that you can use to track your revision schedule and make sure you're ready when the exam day comes around. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about facial nerve palsy.